Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Iron Brew Podcasting Conversation Series. Now, it's been a long time since we've done one of these, but we're very pleased to be able to put another episode out. And this one's a little bit different in that it was recorded live in person. Uh, now, this was done at a live event that we did uh, with Chris Walker, who created Friends of Bacati. It was an aid of them. Uh, and if you can do check out the website, there's some podcasts on there actually explaining what it's all about. And, and if you are able, please do consider donating some money to them. That's a great charity to help out that school out in Africa. Um, as I say, this is recorded live in person. So it was done at Redburn Club. That's why there is a little bit of background noise in, in this episode. And also it was taken off of live mics. So the sound is a little bit different, but everything is perfectly clear. You can hear it, no problem at all. Um, and I'd just like to say before we start the episode, just once again, I'd like to thank our guest, Neil Cox, for giving up his time, coming down in person, telling us the stories. I know we did have a time constraint, but we still got quite a lot of stories out of him. Uh, I really enjoyed it and I really do appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have him on the podcast again in the near future. Uh, but for now, our in conversation with Neil Cox. Enjoy. Hello, welcome. So I'm Brad Mel. I'm from the Ironbrew podcast. Uh, Matt Blanchard is meant to be here, but unfortunately, something's come up very last minute. Uh, very pleased to have Neil Cox with us. Now, I'm going to say right at the start, I'm sure a lot of you already know and suspect this. We can't talk about his time as manager of Scunthorpe for various reasons. I'm sure you'll understand. Um, but he was obviously here as a player. He's had a fantastic career and there's lots of interesting stories. So very pleased. So please, just before we start, Neil Cox, everybody, please. Thank you. So, Neil, we've, on the podcast, we've spoken to quite a few people. Obviously, they start their career and then they'll end up coming to Scunthorpe. It's a little bit different for you because you're from here. You know, you, you were born there. And I think you go so far as to say you grew up opposite the old showground. So, and I think, if I'm right in saying, that you could see the pitch from one of the bedroom windows. Yeah, from my parents' bedroom, we could see the uh, away end. Um, and many a times when... When we was playing, I just jump over the fence and get in for nothing um, at the old uh, at the back of the old showground. And as I say, it was a great place to go. And regular on a Sunday morning, we used to go play on the pitch till the old uh, till the old groundsman used to throw us off about eleven o'clock. So it was good. So it's quite a formative place then, really, for you growing up. Then, yeah, we used to play. I mean, on a Sunday morning, there used to be about eight of us on the eighty of us on the pitch. Um, so Phil McLaughlin never used to come and throw us off, and then he used to go, and everybody else used to be on because the gates used to be open at the back. Mm. So it was always good to play on old showground. Yeah, you, well, you mentioned Phil there. What what sort of players were there when you were at that young age? So obviously, when I first went in, the age of twelve, um, Sir Ian Botham was in, um, Joe Neenan was in, Vinnie Grimes was in. There was a lot of characters in in the football club. Um, I used to go in just out cleaning boots because I was a local boy and uh, Frank Barlow got me in uh, to come and make sure I was behaving myself from school. This didn't really work out. And um, But it was the first time into the football club. I said, went in, went to see him every week, home and away games. And I've had opportunities as a 12-year-old to go to my first game with the first team on the first team, mm -hmm. Ghostweight Barnsley. 
Uh, oh, sorry, Burnley was unbelievable, yeah. really, at, at the age of 12. Yeah, I'll come to that Burnley bit in a second. You mentioned Frank Barlow there, and I think he's someone that's going to come up quite often. Um, Alan Clark's the manager at the time, I think, isn't he, During when you're sort of around about 11 or 12. So you, you mentioned Frank there. How much did you have to do with Alan straight away? And not a lot to do with that. Alan was obviously just took over from John Duncan at the time, and John Duncan had an unbelievable time at the club and was pushing for autobot promotion. Alan Clark came in and lost a few games and was under serious pressure. Um, but Frank took me under under his wing and, and invited me in and and let me train with the first team and helped me out and spoke to me. We had lunch afterwards many many times, and Frank became a good friend and. Tried to sign me a couple of times the day I left to go to Aston Villa. He, he tried and came round to my house in Scunthorpe to get me to go to Chef uh, Wednesday. Right. So it, nowadays, obviously, you've got clubs that have got academies, you've got youth set you've got everything like that. It, there's not really anything like that there. There's not a schoolboy unit at that time, is there? So is it, was it unusual to have somebody sort of take somebody on at like age 13 into a football club? Yeah, they never really had the schoolboys. I think I was the first Scotland United schoolboy to come through because I think I, I had an opportunity. I went to Arsenal as a 13-year-old and my chef Wednesday as a 13-year-old. And I think the club wanted to make sure that I didn't go anywhere else. Um, so they, they set this new thing up and I just went and trained with the first team when I was off school. and. When I was on a Saturday, Sunday, I could go train with the first team. I'd go watch first team games, and, and that's how it started, really. I was a Scunthorpe boy. I was a Scunthorpe fan, uh, and that's the only place I really wanted to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you, you've mentioned there that you, one of the first things was you travelled to Burnley, you know, on that team coach. Um, talk about how that situation came about. So you've, you've been training with the team, the first team, you know, still quite young. But talk about the moment when you get invited to go onto that coach. I think we trained on the we trained on the Friday. We had eleven v eleven on the Friday. Um, the first team was picked, and then I was just in the other 11. And then after the game, the man, um, Frank said to me, to make sure you get a shirt and tie on tomorrow. Um, the manager wants you to travel, just to be about, about the place. I think I was 13 years of age, I had no tie. I borrowed my dad's British Rail tie to go onto the coach and uh, sat on the coach, went to Burnley. I think there was 25,000 there. At the game. I think it was one of the highest games of the lower division at that time then. Um, I had a great time few beers on the way back at 13 probably wasn't a good idea but that's the way football was at the time but the manager really looks after me to be in a dressing room when boots are flying cups of tea are getting thrown around f's and blinding at 13 year 13 years of age was probably just what i needed to to grow up at that age and get out of being a bad lad at school you mentioned there were sort of other clubs watching you and i think when we talk about when you go to villa you know, some will have come in at the time. Um, I've got here that I've read that when you were playing for a youth team, for the Scunthorpe youth team, you were played against clubs like Arsenal, Sunderland. So was that before that Burnley experience? You know, how did it compare? Because they are big clubs still, but at youth level. When I was when I was 13, Arsenal came knocking at my, at my door at my house um, to my parents. And when I was living in Smith Street behind the football stadium, everybody knocked on the front door. We thought it was the police. So when two lads from Arsenal with the with the badges on, came at the door. We was a bit surprised, actually. Um, well, they came in and wanted me to go to Arsenal. They they made an offer to myself and my parents at the time. My my dad was a British Rail. My mum was working at Littlewoods, and the package they was offering us that time football was crazy, really. For me being 13 to move to London, they was offering my family to move to London and buying properties and things like that to start off with. Now you mentioned Frank Barlow, but obviously Richard Money was there as well, and I think he was the one doing a lot of the training sessions with you. So maybe tell us a little bit about him as well. 
so, so obviously Richard Richard had come back into the football club, obviously an unbelievable career, been to Liverpool, played in, in, in massive, massive games, he came back to the club to play. He was going to take over the new uh, youth team. Um, so Richard used to take me training on a Monday night on my own. We used to go on Quibble Park and it was just me and Richard with his floodlights on and after half an hour the floodlights used to go off because the club wouldn't be able to afford to pay him so he was like kicking the ball around in the dark really. But I think that was just to make sure that the club wanted me to stay there and wanted me to be part of it. And it was a big part of my career, Richard. He, was, he uh, not only was the first person to congratulate me, but the first person to have a go at me and, 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 and tell me what I did wrong and what I did right. Is that useful? I think it is. I think that nowadays, especially with the kids, you can't, you can't tell them what they've done wrong because they're going to look on social media and say, well, I think I did all right because they've got 15 likes or something <laughs> like that. So I think football has changed. Okay, so you, th at this point you get offered the first pro deal um, and it's alongside Graham Alexander, of course, you know, we all know, and uh, Richard Hall as well. So, uh, it's obviously something very important. You just mentioned over there that you spoke to him quite recently. So maybe just yeah. some memories about those two, but Hall especially. Obviously, when we when we started this new youth team up at Scunthorpe, the first time, and I think they took about twelve of us on. Graham came in, um, Richard Hall came in, uh, Paul Creighton came in, mm -hmm. was a centre forward from Ipswich who played for England, and he got a really bad broken leg, and I don't think he really ended up playing again. And a couple of other lads, Matt Barbrook, no, you'll remember Matt, but he's two boys, and now are playing cricket for Essex in their first team. So, and I think they're only 16 and 17, so I think he's, he's done really well. But we had a really good good youth team. Richard, when he looked after us, he treated us like men at times, and then he treated us like kids at times. But I'm very fortunate. I was a local boy. I had to look, look after everybody. I think I could get him in the Britannia pub at 15 years <laughs> of age. So it was very fortunate. We go out for a drink, and uh, no, I was a local, so it was easy for me. Yeah. And your first game, so your debut game as a professional, is away at Halifax. Um, and I think... It, it's a bit of an unusual start in a way because I think the coach is late, isn't it, to that game and it's a delayed kickoff. And... Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a crash on the M62. I think Arthur, he was on, Arthur was on the coach there. I think he was on the, Arthur was on the coach because yeah. Arthur had to go while they were doing down the motorway, get the kit out and we had to get <laughs> chains on the, on the coach, Arthur. That was right, wasn't it? And I think he just, Arthur was just giving everybody any numbers and some of the lads wasn't happy. I think Andy Flanders wasn't happy and he ended up wearing eight <laughs> instead of nine and things like that. I think we got there at quarter past three. So my debut was at quarter past three playing, I think I played just behind the front two, I think. So it was a bit strange. So obviously you've been in and around the club a long time from that point. As we said, you started when you were about 11. Did that debut game live up to your experience in a way? I know you've played the youth team, but that first sort of pro game? That was my dream to play for my, my own time club. And that's all I wanted, ever wanted to do. I obviously had opportunities to go away and, and go to as a youth team playing anywhere else. But... I used to jump over that fence uh, behind the ground, Fox Street end, and, and watch the watch the team, and watch us miss out on playoffs, and watch us get beat by non-league clubs, and get re-elected and stuff like that. And that's where I wanted to be, and that's the only place I was going to start. Yeah, and that year, obviously, you're only there, you know, a year really, one season, isn't it? But there's a good cup run that year as well, and I think it's it third round, I think, against Brighton when we eventually go out. But you know, Brighton at the time, that's that's a big ground to go to, a big club, really. You know, how did that experience go in the cup? Well, it was good because I think me and Ollie played centre half together that day, and I think it was both just 18, and we went to Brighton. They was they was on fire and. And it was disappointing because we played really well on that. He was blowing the game, which he used to does at Brighton. And uh, we was really disappointed on the way home because obviously the draw was done after the game and I think Brighton drew Liverpool. So yeah. it, it, was, it was a disappointing. But to play the way there, uh, there with myself and Orly playing centre-half, laughing at each other, <laughs> we get beat up. We got absolutely beat up that day. But we could have got something out of the game. But just so proud to 
me and him and Graham Alexander travelled us as well, the three of us that was took on that we, we had a really good friendship and it was good to see that our friendship's still there. So that, that game obviously is in the Cup, is there any other games that sort of stand out from that season in your memory? Obviously, I, th I remember the game with Rochdale in the Cup because obviously there was a lot of travelling supporters there and I think Ixie scored late on mm -hmm. from about 35 yards with his dodgy knee. Um, and I think the fans come on the pitch and I can remember my brother running on the pitch, jumping up and down. I was thinking, that's the last thing I need because <laughs> he's not meant to be here. But the fans was brilliant. And I think that's what Graham really enjoyed. I know he'd come from Coventry and, and it's a big club and Richard Oll had come from Ipswich, which was a big club. But they just was seeing the fans at that time was behind the football club and doesn't matter what was happening, that everybody was behind it. And I think they appreciated being a part of it. So during your time, even though it's quite a short spell in that season and through your association with the club, you go, you meet quite a lot of the managers, you know, Zant Clark, there's Frank Barlow, Richard Money, so obviously Mick Buxton as well, and as he gets sacked and, and Bill Green takes over, obviously you might not have much experience with Bill Green, so I think it's it's within his first week, isn't it, I think, that you, you end up, the offer comes in? Yeah, obviously Mick Buxton was the one who gave me my debut, um, a couple of stories about Mick, I played for the Britannia pub on a Sunday at the age of 15, 16, they offered me a pint of gold. Um, and on a Sunday, I think I scored seven for the team. And I can remember Mick Buxton driving all the way from Barnsley, uh, dragging me off the pool table about 10 o'clock at the night. And I was still surprised. I played on the Tuesday night in the game after that. So Mick was really good to me. Mick knew I was a local boy and I was going to be able to go out and socialise with the so-called supporters or friends of mine. But Mick was on to me every day. He was um, telling me to work on my left foot telling me I need to head it because I didn't want to head it because I didn't want to play centre-back or play centre-midfield player. Um, but he was on to me all the time and um, when he left, it was sad because he gave me my debut. Uh, and I still speak to him now. Yeah. still speak to him now. Um, still knows what he's on about. Still has a go at me about not using my left foot. So, yeah, he was a really good character and a really part of my life. So, we're, we're going to move on to as you transfer to Villa in a second. When you consider that season that you played for Scunthorpe United, given as you've mentioned that you know it's your local club, you wanted to play for Scunthorpe United. When you look back on your career as a whole, are you happy with what you did uh, as a player at that time? I didn't want to leave. That was yeah. like the biggest thing for me. Obviously, I had an opportunity that the club was getting not only a lot of money, but they was going to get some seats behind the goal, <laughs> which was like, still well, got you, you need to go. And uh, I didn't really want to go. I just thought I needed some time to play more first-team football. If I wanted to become a better player, and, and which I wanted to be, me going to Aston Villa wasn't a really good move for me. Uh, I know they was a top, top club, but I wasn't going there to play first-team football. I was going there as a, as, a, as a player to play for their kids and their reserves. And I just felt first-team had suited me. But at the time, the football club, the football club definitely needed the money at the time. Um, the chairman at the time rang me, came around to me, and said, we need to sell you, um, which he had to sell Richard all at the same day as well. But... We were both meant to go to Tottenham, um, but the club had asked for a million quid for us both. Um, and at the time, Tottenham wasn't willing to pay, but we don't mean Ollie had been down to Tottenham and spoke to them. Really? And, um, but it, it couldn't get done. Well, as I say, you, you do go to Villa, and as you mentioned, the seats as part of the deal, the 2,000 seats for the away end, which I think is a great bit of Scunthorpe trivia there. So it starts to fall out every now and then. Um, is it, it's Ron Atkinson at Villa at the time, isn't it? Is it? Or is Joseph Venglos, Dr. Venglos. Venglos. So, Frank Barlow, though, was, was he in a round? Did he put a word in? Do you no, know? No, obviously, Richard was at Villa. Richard yeah. only went to the Villa, and then um, Frank Barlow was at Chef Wednesday. And when the bidding started, Frank came, sat outside my 
sat outside my house in Scunthorpe and said, listen, you're not going anywhere, you're going to come to Chef Wednesday. And then I went to speak to Ron, but obviously Aston Villa and Mr Ellis were paying money up front plus these 2,000 seats. Mm. And the club at Scunthorpe was thinking the 2,000 seats <laughs> is going to be a bonus. Um, Chef Wednesday offered a lot more um, at the end of the deal. If I got another move, they get percentage, which... which Scunthorpe in Aston, Aston Villa, and in the end, it cost them a few quid. And one of the first things you do as you go over there is, you, I think you join them out. At, is it in Hong Kong for a pre-season tour, isn't it? So it was, it was a mid-season tour. Mid-season tour. It was a mid-season tour. I played at Halifax. I think I played at home to Rochdale, and next I was on a first-class flight to uh, Hong Kong. Um, so very different. I mean, you, you've, I think it's coming across already that you're very sort of local and connected to Scunthorpe, and you know, you've always been at that club. That's sort of one extreme to another, isn't it? Oh, it was crazy walking walking through the airport in, in Hong Kong and there must have been 50,000, 60,000 people expecting these footballers to come through. And I come through with Paul McGrath, who's, who's absolutely unbelievable playing, don't realise how good he was. And at the time, uh, David Platt was there and there were some really good characters, Tony Daly. Well, they just made me really, really welcome. And Nigel Spinks and we got there and we played three games and a couple of exhibition games and, and, and another game and we just really eat it off and it was like a downtime for the players at the time and for me to get to know a couple of them obviously Mark Lillis had uh, signed for Scunthorpe and he, he told me about a couple of the characters um, so that was good for me that I knew a couple of boys and I settled in really well. Uh, I'm sort of collating a lot of this time at, at Villa, but you know, some success there, obviously, winning the League Cup 94, um, you know, second in the Premier League, playing at Wembley as well, coming on to the sub as the final. It's, you know, from Scunthorpe United to that almost in the space of, you know, a year, a couple of years. Yeah, it's crazy. Football was just, it was going mad at the times. Obviously, Sky Sports had come into it. Everything was getting over, over analysed. The dancing girls on the pitch before and it was just going crazy it was getting looked after a tv it, it took over from saturday saturday football to a sunday at four o'clock to a monday night football um so it's quite easy for me because i wasn't used to it and the rest of the players wasn't used to it uh, very fortunate to play champions league with aston villa as well so there were some really good times where you went away to places where you didn't expect to go and play and you played against some top, top players. And I think, is it during your time at Villa that you have a bit of experience with the England under-21s as well? So maybe just tell <clears> us a little bit about that. We did. We, we, I, I played a few games in the Villa first team and got a telephone call and it, out of the blue, me and Hawley, who played a few games for Southampton, we got both picked to play for the England under-21s, which was, which was surprising. Because when we was at Scunthorpe and we played probably 30 games each, they are not come to watch us, but as soon as you go to a bigger club, um, England came knocking at the door. Graham Taylor was the was the manager, and um, we played a couple of under-21s games together, me and Orly, uh, with, with some really top, top players at the time, Andy Cole, Robbie Fowler, um, but me and Orly was there, two lads had been playing for Scunny, and all of a sudden we're playing with these top, top players, which was incredible, really. I think as well, you mentioned you've played across a couple of positions as well. Is, was it? Do you think it's at Villa that you really sort of found your role, or do you think is that something that continued to develop throughout your career? No, no. <clears throat> Aston Villa played every position, even played in, in goal. goal. Yeah, I played in goal for against Villa. Southampton. Yeah, so I guess Orly as well. Orly so <laughs> was laughing. Um, so yeah, I didn't get a position. Everybody thought I was going to play centre midfield role, and then I ended up playing right back, and then I played centre back. But I never got a role. I think that was why I never got a regular game at Aston Villa and uh, when it comes to it I wasn't playing enough games and I needed to play games for my career it was all about playing on a Saturday and I was spending too much time training with the with the reserves and, and not playing on a Saturday so 
that was the option after that to, to get away. I was fascinated when an outfield player goes in goal. What was that sort of experience like? How was the match? Yeah, it was good. I think, um, obviously, Paul McGrath had come off so-called injured. Obviously, Paul had a, a serious drinking problem. And at the day, we didn't realise that he was probably 15 pints in. And he was trying to play, so we had to take him off. And then the goalkeeper gets sent off. And then we only had one sub at the time. So I end up with the gloves thrown at me and um, away at the Dell. And yeah, good experience. Got some really interesting pictures of me backing <laughs> off and uh, got a really lovely picture of me and Ollie laughing at each other from the corner, um, which was the only me and him have got really. So some special moments. Uh, so I've jumped forward a little bit, but let's go to the next club, which is obviously Middlesbrough as well. And it's a big deal because it's, it's their first million pound signing. And I think that's something that you're still remembered for there, isn't it? It was crazy because obviously I played against Manchester United a few months earlier and Brian Robson had pulled me on, on my shoulder and said, I'm going to go to Wolves, I want you to come with me. And I was like, Brian Robson, my hero, I was, a, I was a Manchester United supporter, he was probably the best player I've seen. And then um, he's offered me to go to Wolves and then an hour later I get a telephone call that Middlesbrough had been on the phone. It's a done deal, get yourself up to Middlesbrough, met Brian Robson there. And the club was just on a change. They had one year at the old ground and moved to a new stadium, which I'd already seen at, at Scunthorpe. And it was a it was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down really. Brian Robson was in charge. I said, if I'm going to go work for anybody, he was probably the best person, the best player I'd seen in my time. But and he was player manager as well, wasn't he? He was still playing. He was, he was player manager. He was the best player still. He was 38 years of age. I think he played about 25 games that season. Um, and you realise when everybody named him when I was coming up as a kid as Captain Marvel, he was unbelievable for Middlesbrough at the time. Um, and after that, obviously, the club went on to bigger and better things with mm. signing some great stars. Yeah, and it's it's sort of, there's a promotion. It's sort of an unusual way, and I think it's only one went up that year, and it's sort of done on the last game of the season. Yeah, only one team goes up, and, and it was massive. It was us and Bolton at the time. I think Reading was in there. And we go to the last game of the season, we play at Ayrson Park, which is the last game at Ayrson Park as well. Obviously, the, we go into to the re, uh, to the, so the rebut to the Selna after that. And um, so we win 2-1 on the day. I miss a penalty early on, which everybody remembers it for. But to see Ayrson Park full of 40,000 people and 25,000 supporters outside it was really really good yeah you, you mentioned uh sort of as you went to villa that that's the start of when football really changed i think it becomes like what it is now with the media and the attention on it and everything like that um the first thing in relation to that i think is that you're named in you know the first division team of the year and i think that that was that a sort of a, a new thing or did that did you sort of was that the achievement that it seems or how did you react to that i didn't really much much know about it actually because you don't get tell, told to the end of the season and, and I just remember the manager pulling me about a new contract obviously very fortunate to go and from first million pound signing um, but Aston Villa had made another bid for me when Brian Liddell had come back into me for the year later so obviously they were trying to tie me down I could have gone back to Villa but obviously I just wanted to work with Brian Robson we got promoted the first year he told me his plans did I believe he was going to bring these superstars in? No, I didn't. Did Middlesbrough support bring, believe he was going to bring these superstars in? No, they didn't. So I just wanted to be part of that new stadium, new cell net. Teesside, Teesside fans are unbelievable. A bit like 
from Scunthorpe, still work town. They work hard and want to go watch their team play. And it, it was, I was very fortunate to play three years there. And you've had a couple of good cup runs, I think, in your career. And obviously at Middlesbrough, you reached the FA Cup final. Um, and this is sort of where I think with the media is that there's a bit of a press storm as well, isn't there? And I think it ends up with you being dropped on the final. So do you want to just sort of go through a little bit of what happened there with uh, Ravanelli? So the, of the FA Cup final, two weeks before, we, we lost the last game of the season away at Leeds. We get relegated. We're playing our 60th game of the season. Ravanelli decides to go back to uh, Italy to get some treatment. And we've got the biggest cup. For, we just lost in the final of the uh, League Cup final to Leicester that year after a replay. And uh, we just thought, I got off by asking the press what team to think I should pick. And I did the team. I never picked myself, which was everybody's surprise. Um, I did pick Ravanelli. And on the day of the game, on the day of the game, we were having new suits on, FA Cup sunglasses on, everybody looking there. And then he decides to turn up with two bouncers. And it all kicks off. Um, and me being from Scunthorpe, I thought, if someone's going to take a punch at me, I'm going to take a punch back. And it, it kicks off and I'm, I don't even end up, end up on the bench. Um, but the story is after we go 1-0 down after 23 seconds, I think, with Di Matteo. And then Ravinelli comes up after four minutes and I think my point was proven. Yeah. <laughs> so did you sort of, I don't know, maybe learn about the impact of the media that it has and did it did that change your approach going forward i had a friend of mine who had met from the daily star which was a, a, a gentleman called ralph ellis and then when i first went into aston villa they booked me in touch with him and if anything goes then you go through him until i finished my career and even after i lost my job i still kept in touch with him sadly he passed away um anything i had to do with the press i went through him and if anything that needed to be said it went through him and I just think I was fortunate I had somebody really close working for such a good uh, newspaper that looked after me. I think um, a rare thing sort of from our podcast to speak to somebody that's been in you know, not one but two League Cup finals as well and obviously you, you mentioned that the loss there but how does the experience compare you know doing it with two different teams? The, Man the Manchester United game nobody expected us to win. Uh, we went into Manchester United they're going for the treble and on the day, we absolutely battered them. And uh, I came on a sub after about 62 minutes. I think it was 2 0 up. My job from set plays was to mark, mark Hughes. And after the first flick on, after a minute, Mark Hughes scores. Ron Atkinson's swearing like a trooper at me because <laughs> he knows I to do my job. But we win the game 3 1. And the atmosphere after that, Villa Park, we, went, we get to back to Villa Park two days later after celebrating. The place was absolutely chocker. And you realise what a unbelievable football club was, but the Villa fans love that football club. Like they all do, all football fans love the football club, but they turned out and you, you end up as heroes from playing in the game. And then you go to Middlesbrough and you get beat and we drive around Middlesbrough at the end of it and we, and we get off the coach at, at Middlesbrough train station. We think it's going to be about 300 people here. I think it was 350,000 people that turned out on the streets in Middlesbrough. And knowing Middlesbrough was, was it wasn't a sunny day. It was still raining. So uh, it was good to see the Teesside fans turn up. So after Middlesbrough, you get three years at Bolton as well, a new stadium at the time, isn't it? I think the Reebok. So, you know, maybe just a little bit of time at, at Bolton before we go on to Watford. Bolton was a big change, obviously. I got offered a contract at Middlesbrough, but obviously they were signing superstars and the wages was getting cut for the players that come in, but higher wages going out. 
Bolton offered me a, an opportunity to go sign for Bolton. A new stadium, Colin Todd was playing this sort of football that I wanted to play, playing out from the back. Uh, new training facilities, signing some good players. And I just think it was a, it was a freshness for me to, to go to Bolton. What, what a really, really... People don't realise there's some football clubs that are friendly and family. But if it was your birthday, the fans used to turn up with about 150 pies for you. So no wonder you put weight on. But they just wanted you to be a part of their football club. You had to go to the working men's clubs to go out and a bit like this place here and, and see people. You went to Phoenix Knights where Phoenix Knights was made with, with people like that and you met people that you think, this is crazy. And they were so friendly and that's what was really good going to that football club. Okay, let, let's go on to Watford then because obviously it's a big part of your career. The clubs you've been at previously, so Bolton, Middlesbrough, Villa, Scunthorpe, you know, northern clubs and it's a big change really, isn't it? I think it... It seems like you've had offers previously from Southern clubs, but you've always resisted it. So why the decision to go there? I think it was a, it was a turning in my life going to, obviously spoke to Graham Taylor. We'd not really hit it off as a store. I was, obviously, me and him never hit really off. I went to school with his niece in Scunthorpe and his dad obviously was a local reporter for Scunthorpe and he used to work locally. And he said to me, whatever you do, don't go sign for my son. Anyway, I ended up going to sign for his son. It was a little bit of a disaster, to be honest with you. He, he was not what I expected. But the club was exactly like Scunthorpe was. It was, a, it was a little town, and, and they was a little town, and everybody got behind the football club. Everybody turned up when it was, good or bad, didn't mind. They, they supported you, they cheered you, and uh, I ended up staying five years there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned, obviously, with Graham Taylor and a little bit of a shaky start. I think he said some things sort of in the press as well. And I think after about two or three weeks, there's talks of offers from other clubs like Fulham and things like that. So how close were you actually to leaving at that point? I I drove to Fulham on the Friday to speak to him. Graeme Taylor said, you can go, even though I've just signed a four and a half year contract. <laughs> Graeme said, you can go, this was not working. But after two and a half weeks, I was surprised. And I only trained one day, <laughs> so I can't have been the best. And then I went to Fulham. Fulham was, a, I think, a second division club with the, Ray Wilkins, who was in charge. Um, as a financial deal, it was probably six or seven times more than I'd been earning anywhere. But to me to drop down to, to that level again, I just thought it was a bit of a gamble for myself. And I just went back and said, listen, to Graham Taylor, if you don't want to play me, don't play me, but I'm not going anywhere. And that's how it started. So I might be conflating a few things again, but you know, Graham Taylor eventually does leave. Are you, are you sort of getting a look in at any time before he's there or, yeah, or not really? I play, I play probably 30 games and then obviously he retired and goes on. And then uh, Luca Viali came in the mm. door. And Luca decides to change everything. Luca gets a really big budget to work with and, and things change at the football club. And I was the one the lad said, listen, you're not for me. I'm going to change everything. There was a lot. Robert Page, who's now Wales manager, got uh, transfer listed. Um, but they, I was still on a three and a half year contract and they wanted money from me. And I was just sitting still, really. And you do end up sort of making it back into the team. And I think you mentioned that there's a bit of a speech in the dressing room where they say that the guy made a mistake and that, you know, he should be in there. We play away at Grimsby, of all places. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I play and I think we beat Grimsby 3-1. And I think I over-celebrated on the third goal, playing against Grimsby, <laughs> so, which was good. And the, and the manager pulled me. He tried to release me. The manager pulled me in front of all the players and sat up. This is Luca Viali, who's, who's probably one of the greatest players in, in the time in Italy. And he stood up in front of everybody and said, I made a, a, a mistake. I do apologise. Um, Graham Taylor told me he was a bad influence in the dressing room and he needed to be moved on. I don't see it. And, and to this day, we still speak really well, me and, me and Luca.
And I think not too long after that, you're you're made club captain as well. So at a club like Watford, is there sort of additional pressure to that? You know, or how did you respond to that? I took it, I took it on, but the only pressure I found as as I don't know if many people know when you when you captain of Watford, you have to go around to um, Elton John's house. Yeah, you I was going to come on to Elton yeah, John. <laughs> you have to go to see Elton John. You have to have uh, dinner with him, and you have to tell him about the new players, uh, the new wives, the new girlfriends, um, or wives and girlfriends. Some of the lads at the <laughs> times, but the kids, because he was interested. Um, he also made he also also give the players um, some money that if they went out on a few drinks, that he would pay for the first couple of drinks and things like that. And um, he just wanted to know everything about everybody. Um, sit around his house and sat around Sir Elton John's house was un unbelievable, really. And he's having a go at me and I'm just trying to be like, Jesus Christ, what's going on here? But yeah, he loved the football club and he just wanted to know everything about everybody. Did we see a lot of him? No, we didn't. I think we played Manchester United on the, on the TV game and he came. He came into the dressing room and I used to introduce him to everybody. And then he says, I'll see you in the shower. I'll see you after the game when you get in the showers. That's what we'll hold on a minute. So, but he just loved the football club and, and, and that's why he was. And he just wanted to know about that, what was happening with the lads. It's, it's in a way sort of surprising because it's like, obviously such a huge, you know, celebrity in a way, isn't he? And uh, like to have an active role as a chairman and sort of talking to the players, I suppose. Did, did that sort of phase you at all though? Or did you, did you just sort of soon accept it? No, it was quite funny because the first time when I, when I met him, he told the story, Watford got promoted, and, he, and I think his first away game was going away to Scunthorpe. And the Scunthorpe fans were seeing something probably I shouldn't say on here, um, as a person that he was. And he speaks really well about it. That's the first time he came out and his mum said, what are they singing? And obviously I won't repeat it on here what they were singing, but he took to me really well after that because we'd had a little bit. I think that's why he got on well with Graham Taylor yeah. as well. I think he knew we had a little bit of banter from this part of the world and um, such a good character. Uh, and another sort of link-up that you have at, at that club, obviously you've, you've had experience at England under-21s together, but you, you meet Neil Ardley there again and obviously he's very significant in your career. So maybe just a little bit about meeting up there again. So I met Neil Ardley playing under-21s, me, me and Orley. Obviously we was from the unfashionable teams really. Obviously me and Orley had been at Scunthorpe and just signed for other clubs. Um, Neil Hardy played for Wimbledon. I don't think there'd been any Wimbledon player ever, even though he was playing at the top of the level, been to play for the under-21s or even the first team. So me and Hardy got friendly at uh, uh, the under-21s and then we met at Watford and uh, become good friends, not just myself and him, the wives, the kids become good, really friends. And then lastly, the next 30 years, we spend a, a really good relationship <laughs> yeah. together. So you have, I think, five or six years at Watford, over 200 games, 20-odd goals there as well. Uh, you do move to Cardiff. I think there's maybe some slightly frozen out at the end a little bit. Is, was, how did yeah, that it was end frozen out. Obviously, a new manager came in. Financially, I was in really good. I was on a good good wage packet at the time. They wanted to cut my wages and I was refusing to do that. I was under contract. I signed the contract um, and they wanted me out. So I, when, when I left, I got offered opportunities to go to Cardiff. They was paying me to leave. And I just wanted to play as much football as I can. So I didn't fall out with the chairman. I didn't fall out with the, with the new manager. Um, just the time you spent six years at the club, you need to move on. Yeah. But overall, are you sort of pleased with that, everything at Watford? Yeah, Watford was yeah. A, great, a great time. Six years, I'd say 250 games. Uh, appearances, more goals, 10 goals in one season from centre-half, which was, which was good at the time. Um, so, yeah, it was a good club to play for. And again, so... So towards the end of your, your playing career, you get a little bit of time at Cardiff as well, and obviously we'll have crew, but yeah, Cardiff, I think another club you seem to, to get on quite well with that. 
Cardiff was a, a, as a team that was struggling financially. The money the situation had gone. Sam the man was in there. He was trying to build this new stadium for Cardiff, but he wasn't getting the backing. Um, so they asked me to go in and do a job, keep him up that, that year and help him. So, so that was my responsibility to go there. But there's some really good coaches at the football club. Obviously, Neil Hardley was there, and we was able to go. Terry Burton, who was a coach from as a, from Watford, and, and he was a terrific football club. But when you played Swansea, he was a bit like us playing for Scunthorpe. You had to beat Grimsby, yeah. and that's all they cared about is beating Swansea. And uh, when we did beat them, obviously we was in the town, and I think we celebrated celebrated for a couple of weeks really on on, on that result. And that's all they cared about, in the, in the, especially in the Welsh. I think obviously Cardiff and then Crew way sort of finish. Um, there's a little bit of managerial, which I'm not going to really go into too much at Leek uh, as well. But one thing I found fascinating after that is a sort of completely different business is when you're out in Portugal and sort of doing some property things, and uh, but still linking up with footballers. Yeah, the, the property thing was that as a Sky TV program. And, they, and I think they must have been struggling to get people because they, <laughs> they asked me. So we knocked on this door in, in the middle of Portugal and said, can we film around your, your house? This lad didn't have a clue what he was doing. So anyway, he let us film around his house and then we put this TV programme that was selling properties abroad, which I wasn't. I was living abroad, but looking after um, the footballers that came over, restaurants, taxis, whatever that they needed to do. Uh, in that industry, really, something different. Something that it was good for myself and my my family, my, especially my children, because I I travelled all the way around the country. When you play for Watford, you seem to be spending half the time on a coach. When you spend for Cardiff, you spend your, half your time on the coach, and you don't see a lot of your children. So I just want to spend a bit of time with the kids, and we spent a lot, really, lot uh, some good times there for a footballer to spend time with the kids. It was good, and it's Phil Brown. Uh, of all people that sort of bring you back and bring you back into football in a way. No, well, Brownie tried to. Brownie came to Portugal on holiday and I sorted somewhere for him to stay. So we're having a couple of drinks one night and said, listen, I'm, just, I'm, I'm at Hall. I want you to come and take the under-23s job. Would you be interested? I said, yeah, I would really love that. So we, we agreed. The contracts were sent through. I never signed him, got back. He got the sack. I never got the job. Um, so that's when he started, obviously not so long afterwards, and he allowed to give yeah. me a call and we go on to, to the next part of the career. Next really. part of your career. I think let's wrap up with sort of some, some general questions, as we often do on this podcast. Um, we'll, we'll stick with Scunthorpe to start with. So who was the sort of the favourite player that you had playing with Scunthorpe? Was it Hall? Yeah, probably Hall, yeah. but obviously I'm a Scunthorpe fan, obviously massive, massive Steve Kamak fan. Mm-hmm. And obviously managed to play a couple of games of golf with him, played his testimonial. Still speak to the players around here now, and obviously there's some players that I played with this football club. It was local. Andy Stevenson could have been an absolute superstar, but for some reason, I don't know what happened to Andy Stevenson. Um, he could have been the proper player and, and played for any top club. He had everything about him. He had, yes, he had a couple of injuries that knocked him back. Did you have a favourite game for Scunthorpe at the time? Yeah, I think I, 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 we played away at Carlisle in a and uh, one of Mickey Mouse competitions. And manager says, we need to win this game. And I think at 3-0 down at half-time, the manager, Mick Brooks, is throwing everything around the dress. I mean, everything. And then he decides to kick the some bucket in the corner. And we think he breaks his foot. We win 4-3. We come back in and he's gone to hospital to get his foot done. And we're, we're all celebrating. <laughs> um, as a sort of your playing career as a whole, who's the best player you played against? I think if you look, and uh, Ginola from Newcastle, I get more mentions in his book than he does. Because every time I played against him, he scored. And he was unbelievable a few times when he played against me. Every trick he did came off six foot 
three, good-looking lad. Um, struggled to get near him, so I hated playing against him. And I say every time he's, every time I play, gets him scored. Yeah, um, and then I think just finally, then so we've talked about big clubs in your career, you know, and a lot of success in League Cup finals, playing at Wembley, everything like that. Can you sum up sort of how impactful Scunthorpe was to you, sort of as a development, as a person, as a player? This was my football club. This is where I wanted to be. Obviously, when I was younger, I had opportunity um, to go. I was very fortunate. I had two good parents that listened to what I wanted to do and didn't look at the bright stars of being a superstar and taking the money on board. Yes, my, my family, my parents could have been financially well off by the situation. Going to Arsenal especially was a, a package that I'm probably still doing a lot now, um, but, but it did get stopped. But for me to play for my own time club, seeing my mates there, my parents come for that first game, and to play for them and score and then leave, and them seats still remind me about it now. So I was very fortunate I've left some 2,000 seats behind the goal. Yeah, still there, and I suspect, suspect they'll be there for quite some time to come. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Neil Cox, thank you very much. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.